Finding Organic Matters once again, however you've found me. I always have to do this because I I get feedback from so many different places now, but appreciate you tuning in. How clean is your electric vehicle? I talk about electric cars. I They are the future, folks, whether you want to know that or not. At least for the, for the next 10 or 15 years, it'll take us to get there, and it'll, they'll last maybe 50 years if we're lucky, maybe less, because I see hydrogen that's going to play part of the game. And there's other other forms of, of energy that we haven't even tapped yet. So, so yes, it is an interim. There's always, and in, in, I want to use the word, the evolution of how we're going to use energy. So to think that anyone I'm going to stay forever is probably not realistic. It will continue to evolve. With that being said, as the U.S. electricity grid and worldwide grid gets cleaner, and by that I mean by shifting away from coal and gas and petroleum, and by adding solar and wind power and eventually even geothermal, which we're looking at, and as I mentioned earlier, no doubt hydrogen will be a part of the solution. I'm looking at information I'm bringing to you now from a place called EVTool.com. USCUSA.org. It's just you can just put EVTool.org and you'll come up with this. And what it does is it lets you put in your location, make and model the car that you're either interested in or you're driving, and ask for your zip code, and they will give you, according to what kind of energy you're having to use to to run your car, a pretty good picture of, of how your car or the car you're thinking of will stack up. Then this sophisticated little thing that works very simply actually it takes your miles per gallon carbon dioxide equivalent mpg-co2e and compares it for other parts of the nation and and also even compares it to how you and when you change your uh, energy source begin with you must realize that the average car gasoline car today average now still just around 25 miles per gallon my next step up, and I think what's going to be a part of the interim play, is what we call hybrid vehicles. Their average, mean average per day of use is over 50 now, 51 miles per gallon CO2e. And an all-electric car, when we get to them in, a, in bigger numbers, goes almost 100, over 96 miles per gallon CO2e. So basically what they're doing is they've established a standard for miles per gallon CO2e and a direct relationship to how much or how little global warming pollution that particular vehicle will actually produce. In a nutshell, the exact emissions from charging an EV depend on the electric source used to charge it. So this tool, this this uh, free tool, I should ask, uh, it determines the average emissions from electric utilities at a regional level, and that's why they want your zip code to identify where your electricity is coming from. If you charge with renewable energy like wind and solar or participate in green power programs, which I can actually get right here where I live, your driving can literally be virtually emission-free. So I just want to throw that at the beginning of the show. If there's any of you really interested, and I hope there's more and more people getting interested. It's, an, it's a little tool. I played with it, and it's fascinating. You go from double the mileage, just from a gas car, to almost any hybrid car. And if you go to an all-electric car and, and are able to 
in my case, use green energy, which you pay a little extra for. But you can quadruple. You get almost 100 miles equivalent to a gallon of gasoline. So if you have the time and the interest, just go to evtool.org. I'll do the long one if you want. evtool.ucsusa.org. But you don't have to put all that in to find it. And you can you can put your numbers in. And it'll be, well, at least it fascinated me. It's a very, very interesting look at what I think is bound to be the future. Now, this kind of moves into this subject, but uh, just it's more food for thought. Give you a one-minute introduction here. The 27th Conference of the Parties, called COP27, is this year's UN Climate Conference. And it's ending, by the time you hear this, it's probably over. I, I, it's right at its very end now. And it's really a lot of the negotiating is going on behind closed doors and civil societies. and What it is in, in eighth-grade language for me, which is about how I have to think, it's just a meeting to try to get a grip on the overall picture of what are we doing to our climate and climate change and, and global warming. And yes, it's all existing. Of course, it brings in all the floods we've been having, the tremendous amount of fires all over the world. And, and what this is, I'm going to try to give you, I, I'm trying to break down a week or 10 days of meetings into a few facts that I hope they're key facts that explain kind of a, I guess it's a complex landscape of, of what's going on as far as climate action. And, and I want to include in this too the facts, not disinformation. So I'm trying to get carefully go through here and, and find some of the lead scientists and see where their heads are and what they think are going on. And the first thing I come across that surprised me is a small number of big corporations are so much more responsible for climate crisis on Earth than we could ever imagine. The updated analysis, which they started back in 2020, shows that emissions traced back just to the 88 largest carbon producers contributed over 60% of all the observed rise in the atmosphere's carbon dioxide and over 50% of the rise in global average temperatures. And this is from when we first started studying and looked back as far as we could. So I'm going to call it the beginning of the industrial period, 1880 to 2015. Now that sounds like an, an outrageous thought to go with, but to think that under 100 companies are producing well over half of all the problem that we're trying to solve. And just so you can go do it, the data on these major carbon producers has been openly published since 2014. So you can go to the database and it's transparent. You can read it. All the companies are listed there. I certainly won't go into those details, but if you go to COP27, you can go and get all this data, read it for yourself. Uh, it, it's a long, boring thing, but it'll sure give you a picture of a heck of a lot that's going on that we, uh, I say we, I kind of keep my nose to the grindstone a little bit about I was totally unaware that those few companies were such contributors. But as I read through, one thing came up as the obvious best solution, and that is replace fossil fuels with renewable energy. The sooner, the better. If you decide to do what I did, don't get distracted by the fossil fuel industry's little clever attempts to keep selling their products 
or their promises of hypothetical advances that serve as an excuse to continue the business as usual. The more we study, the more this becomes apparent. Climate change is overwhelmingly caused by burning fossil fuels. And the most immediate path to avert climate disaster is to stop investing in those fuels and start powering our economy with an equitable transition to renewable forms of energy. What else also becomes apparent when you read all this stuff is the transition is definitely 100% possible. We can go to all renewables. We now know that. The science is in to show us that. Is it going to be overnight? No, we do know that. But the sooner the better, as I said. It, we must start now to meet, first of all, what we made back in 2015 Paris Accords. Goal of limiting global warming to about one and a half degrees Celsius uh, is still the goal we got to try to shoot for, although it's getting to be more and more difficult as we put it off further and further. What we're trying to do is get back to what, what was considered basically pre-industrial levels on Earth. Earlier this year, I saw a report put out by the Union of Concerned Scientists on a community group's project. They called the report on the road to 100% renewables. The study shows that about two dozen states right now can reliably meet 100% of their electricity needs with renewable energy by the year 2030. Two, two dozen of us right now. This shift will require some comprehensive energy policies to ensure the transition is, is equitable for everybody, but it needs to start happening now. That report found that these states can meet all their electric needs for consumption with renewables by the year, well, they said 2030, but by the year 2035 is the latest thought. Even with a significant increase in demand due to the electrification of the transportation and heating systems of our whole nation, in this case of their states, such a transition would have major benefits for public health, climate, local economy, and energy affordability. It could actually end up costing less. Renewables are a readily available solution. Okay, there's a, we're not the only people in this. There's a number of countries that have dedicated themselves even more than we have, especially some that are going to be really, really affected by these climate changes. Uh, Kenya is way up there. Tanzania, Estonia, some little guys that we don't know about, a lot of the island states recognize this fact and have pledged to move to 100% renewable energy by the year 2035. Another fact that came out incidentally as I was reading all this is that the same solutions that will fix the energy crisis will incidentally fix the climate crisis at the same time. I'm not going to take this out forever, but I do want you to just think about it. The clean energy transition is not going to happen overnight, but neither will a fossil fuel build out, which is what they want on the scale the fossil fuel interests are claiming they have to have. To, to transition and only one of these approaches will actually invest in our future and it sure as heck not what the oil industry wants us to do it's apparent folks that the current carbon-based energy system has some really bad downsides that obviously includes climate change which we're talking about but it also includes health impacts from air pollution and water pollution extracting fossil fuels ruin ecosystems for miles around Notably, those that, unfortunately, in our country, indigenous communities around the world uh, 
are far more impacted than we are in general. Here's the inequity I want to point out, and then I won't. We'll we'll go to another subject. But I uh, I just get so fascinated that we are so nearsighted. Here's the inequity: the profits from the carbon-based economies are concentrated among just a few companies in, in worldwide basis. Like I said, they say less than a hundred, while the damage harms people all over the world, including the United States. Doubling down on carbon-based energy policies will escalate, not solve the climate crisis. We have got to get the bull by the horns and get ourselves converting as fast and as, as easily as we can, but as fast. It's going to hurt a little bit. It's not be nothing that's, uh, that works well is going to be really easy on us, but we have got to consider it and consider it soon. So anyway, my little uh, rant for the day, but I just uh, the keep cops up 27 thing. It's just you could go on forever about this. Thanks for staying tuned to Organic Matters.